This is Coda Radio, episode 243 for February 6th, 2017. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us... Wait, I'm not going to say from the East Coast, don't pin Mike down. I don't know where he's at this week. It's Mike! Hello, Mike. Hello. Forget where I am. When am I? Boom. That's Time right. travel crap. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We there may or may there may or perhaps very may be time travel in this episode, but we won't go too far into it. We don't we don't want to uh, waste time. It's gonna be that. the same quality as all of the Star Trek time travel episodes too. Oh, those are some of my favorite, Mike. Especially uh Oh, they're so good. The season five cliffhanger where they go back to the eighteen hundreds and data's he- data blows his heads off his head gets blown off. That's not a spoiler, they they set that up right away. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's Guinan's walking around in the 1800s because she's an Alorian and they live forever. It's I, I, I can't even. I can't because even. Because Mortal Whoopi is good, right? I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the season of travel is coming upon us. Don't you have like a whole bunch of travel coming up? You know what? I am on the road, baby, and I may decide not to do the first leg of this trip. I'm still debating. I'm meditating on it. Now, uh, uh, hold on. Explain explain yourself to me because uh, aren't you all sort of locked in, all scheduled up, uh, planned, and expected upon? Well, so first I am expected sort of in Florida for a SBA conference that I don't think I'm going to go to. So, But I might go to Florida anyway and just like – work from a hotel because i have a place to stay there yeah um and like work by the pool and frankly my wife loves disney world so uh you know so you know wife approval always a a strong motivator the other leg of the trip which i cannot miss because my boyfriend and yours ryan of system 76 has me coming out to their fandom event uh on the 9th and 10th I think I'm going to be really disappointed if you don't uh, sneak out of there with a new machine. Just put it under your arm and walk out, dude. They're you know they're from Colorado, a bunch of pot smokers. Well, first of all, I'd have to bring you so they feel like they're around their people. <laughs> your drug abuse is a common theme on this show. I bet. Just <laughs> yeah, my, who's the one drinking during the show all the time? That's right. It's a uh, Rebel IPA, Sam Adams. It's only beer today. It's, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and I have a cup of water next to me. <laughs> it's like I'm having herbal tea. Mike's having a glass of scotch. <laughs> uh, we have we have much to talk about today, but I did want to talk a little bit about this phenomenon that you seem to experience. Uh, before we get into the rest of the show. And that is, you kind of plan to go to an event, you get all set up for it, you get everything booked, maybe even get uh, a device for the trip, and then at the last minute you decide there's almost anything in the entire world I would rather do than go to this place. And you don't go. Uh, and I often feel that compulsion too. I'm I'm struggling with uh, something similar myself right now. What do you think it is? Is it like the desire to not lose the productive time? Is it 
Is it the cost of travel being the cost of like I get tired and I have less energy, which makes me not able to work? Because like, what is it, Mike, for you that kind of ends up building up in your head, and then at the last minute you go, I'm not doing it. So uh, I cannot get through airport security without at least a pat down. And I got a rather thorough search uh, the time before last I flew. No wonder why you go there all the time. Let me tell you something, though. I I need to see a buffer class of guard. I want only recently retired Marines. I'm kidding. (laughs) YouTube commenters, put your keyboards down. It's Jersey. Jersey is just too nice. No, it's – I hate – I hate the loss of productivity. I don't I, – and, and all kidding aside, I really hate what modern air travel has become. It It's awful. Yeah, that's it's true. It's expensive and they treat you like you're – it feels very prison-like. Yeah. It's it's really not an enjoyable experience. And I'm not willing to like spend the money to do like the – you know, the whatever, the lounge or whatever it's you can dis- do. It's like they disempower you. You feel, you feel I, powerless. Yeah. Uh, you know what I also experience is when I – so say I'm going to go to an event and I carve out some time. And then as that gets that as that event approaches and those days get close, I start I start fantasizing about all of the other things I could do now that I have free time. As if all of a sudden I didn't have something planned and I just that time was free and my mind starts racing about my god, I I could really use a couple of days just around the house to tidy things up and fix a few things. Oh, I've been wanting to run down to the pet store and look at this fish tank. Oh, I, you know, all these little things that run through my head like, God, I would love to spend my time doing that. And then I get a little bitter that instead of, nope, now I got to go do this thing. I got to go over here and. Uh, yeah. And conferences are so hit and miss. I mean, that, that's another key thing for me. Like I've been to some really, really good ones. And I've been to some terrible ones. And yeah, uh, there's, there's a lot more terrible ones than good ones. Yeah, I suppose there are some that I get pretty excited about. Yeah, so do you think you're going to be making uh, last-minute adjustments for uh, this upcoming? I think I will end up doing the entire trip only because spouse approval. I can't figure out if I'm going to scale or not. I just can't get my head around it. I Scale? See, I... I it's like yeah. one of the bigger Linux events, yeah. especially one of the biggest in the U.S. And uh, a lot of people... Where is it? In California, in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. See, I don't go to California as a rule. Oh, it is the. It is, I hate California. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I there's aspects I like. I the, I like going to California to meet the people I always meet there. That's what I like the most about California. But you have to understand, I look at California from the perspective of an RV driver, and it is a nightmare. It is. It is. Out of all of the places I have driven, downtown areas in California, I. Oh, oh. I'm just thinking about the five hour flight and the you know. Three hundred dollar a night room. Yeah, so I have specifically thinking of San Francisco. But I can't. I never. I. I just. I wish I was better at making decisions about these kinds of things. I wish I could just suss up the pros and cons super quick and make my decision. But instead, I like I have yeah. to sit there and think about it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I have this problem when something's like three months away. I'm like, eh, sure, why not? And then yes, exactly. Three days before it, I'm like, oh my god, I have all this work to do. Yep. I, I want to wrap up this project. Yep. What was I, I thinking? What was I thinking? Right. I mean, even even today, I was like, shit, I have to get back to the to uh, to the office because I have 400 dogs in my house right now. (laughs) Dog sitting. So I just came to my office to do the show. (laughs) And then it's like, okay, you got to record a double. Yeah. Yeah. And then tomorrow's Friday. And if I'm really going to get on a plane on the weekend, I have to like pack a bag, do laundry. Like there's all this crap you have to do. Yeah. That is it worth it? 
especially if the conference is a bust, right? Because now you've just like ate crap food. You've spent a ton of money because when you're out of town, you're, you're eating out every night, every day, blah, blah, blah. And you might have nothing to show for it. And I, I think as self-employed people, we feel the pain a little more. Yeah, because you're, 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 you're flipping the you're, – you're paying for all of that. You're paying for everything, right? Like to be fair, to Colorado, uh, the system of 76 is putting me up. But yeah, yeah. Florida, it's out of my pocket. And that's just a little cray-cray. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think it's, it's it's that aspect of it. It's all of the other it's all of the other organizing and and planning around it. It's it's one of the bigger challenges because the other thing I'm predominantly afraid of is regret. I'm afraid that if I don't go, I'll regret not going to scale. I'll, I'll hear, "Oh, I wish I would have seen you at scale. How come you weren't there?" I get that. I'll get that for like two months after scale, and it's people also like. There's so many people I interact with online that there's only one opportunity I get to meet them in person once a year. And and yeah, so it's a really tough call for me. But at the same time, I, I try to. I'm trying this year to to travel more, but travel so, to things that matter more to me. Well, I'm trying to travel more locally because I, I just five flying to California is horrible. And by the way, the the conferences in California are like a thousand dollars or sixteen hundred dollars yeah, a ticket. Yeah, yeah. Looking at you, Google I/O and WWDC, and they're just way too big. How are you evaluating where you go? I mean, for you, it's I guess it's a little different because you're you need to go to the biggest, the baddest, the most. I don't know. I mean, I I so uh, first I try to think of what is there anything new for me to capture there that I because I've gone to some of these you know a few times now. Um, I often I don't know what I don't know what criteria in which to to evaluate on. Do I do it on the cost of to me? Because that's a, that's a loser. Because I don't really have a dollar amount I can assign to the content that I'll collect and interviews I'll collect while I'm there. There's no way to really know the value of right. those. Right. See, I, I have the metric of like billable hours, right? right? So it's easy for me to say if I'm not working. No, I have. I, I can say some of it's marketing, some of it is uh, community management, and some of it is show work. But how how I do a cost analysis of something like that seems impossible to me. So I have to kind of figure out. Just I don't know. I don't. I think that's probably problem. I don't have a good metric to decide by. That's probably what my issue is, and I don't know how yeah. to develop one for something like this. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, for me, if I know people who are going to already be at the conference, at least I can kind of think about it. Well, you know what? It's a tax deductible hangout with friends thing, right? Yeah. Where because I'm fairly aggressive about what I consider a business expense out of town. Because you can be right if you're technically if you're at a conference, all your stuff should be yeah. On the respective LLC or yeah. company or whatever, yeah. but you still got to you know, pay if, for it out of pocket initially, though. So there's still that like when I get back from a trip, like I'm broke. <laughs> problem. So, so let's pretend like you do, right? That some people don't just like use corporate cards to do that. Um, you, why do you have to pay for personally first? You don't. No, what I mean, what I mean is like either the company, if the company's paying, essentially, right, but you have to pay. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that's what you're saying, but yeah. E- but that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we should get off of this. I mean, I think the other aspect is we both have, we both have kids, right? There's that, yeah. So when I know when I was younger and like single, it was very easy to be like, well, I have enough money to afford this, and maybe there's an off chance I'll get a contract out of it. Let me go. If not, I'll be partying for a weekend. Now it's like, oh, I'll be partying for a weekend. Yeah, I think there's yeah. definitely an element of that. That's very much like one of – I have a trip coming up in April 
and I'm really racking my brain because it's, it's an important one that I really want to go to, and it's right during my kid's spring break. And I do not want to be gone during spring break. Yeah, there's one I'm invited to that is actually like overlaps with my son's first birthday. So I'm obviously not going to do that. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 weird. It's it's yeah, we should move on. All right. Moving on. uh, There is some news that I thought we could chat about in the broader context of how it affects the market. People taking uh, on new jobs, contracts and developing applications. There was a pretty big little asterisk, little a big little asterisk. Uh, and I say little because it was an asterisk next to the iPad sales number in Apple's quarterly results. They had a great quarter, so let's not mince words. But uh, they reported that they had sold 13.1 million iPads in the first quarter, which encompasses Christmas and the holiday season, which is down from 16.1. So they sold 13, and which is down from 16.1. That's a lot. Um, that's nearly half as many iPads as the 26 million that Apple sold during the same period in 2013. iPad is just on a steady, steady decline. Um, it's about 20% worldwide shrinkage for the iPad. Tim Cook says, don't worry, though. Very exciting things coming to iPad. <laughs> yes, greater margins, thinness, and less ports. What do you think about this, Mike? So it still puts uh, Apple at the top of the of the tablet chart, and I think that's the bigger story here. And what do you think of that? Because it's 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 just it's all downhill from there. Samsung comes at number two, Amazon number three, Lenovo four, Huawei five, uh, but Apple sitting with a twenty four percent market share, Samsung fifteen percent, Amazon nine percent. Apple has an 18% year-over-year decline. Samsung has an 11% year-over-year decline. Amazon a 0.6%, interestingly enough. Lenovo and Huawei are actually increasing, but they're starting from such small numbers that there's not a, that's not a huge thing. So this is a steady decline in the top three tablets in, a year over, in the year-over-year results. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. I mean, I was pretty excited about the iPad Pro because we did a whole damn show on it. Um, and the possibility of like enterprise style productivity iPad apps. Mm-hmm. And I still think that is a good idea, but much like everything I think is cool, it's obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> obviously the wrong choice. So there, I, there's two things here, right? One, everybody but Apple's basically an also ran in the tablet market right mm. now, which is like what about super, What about the Fire tablets? Oh, those are just garbage, dude. I did I did a project for them. They're just no, I know, but I mean, they feel like their own thing, though, to a degree. Yeah, they're still crap, though. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I don't really understand why they haven't taken off. I have a theory, but I have no evidence. My theory is that consumers and businesses treat them more like laptops, and they have them on like that sort of upgrade cycle. I myself have it on that sort of upgrade schedule, right? In fact, I just gave my wife my iPad because she wanted it and hers was uh, too slow to play a game or something. But I have no interest in buying another one. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You know, I'm looking looking at my family. We have uh, basically everything going back to the iPad Retina, the first iPad Retina in production still in the family. Fine, yeah. That's the third iPad. Uh, and you know, for playing Plants vs Zombies and watching YouTube, it's totally fine. And um, the kids, you know, they drop them anyway, so it's not like you want to put a really expensive one in their hands. And I myself, I don't really need it for much, so I don't feel super compelled to upgrade. When I do upgrade, I'll probably 
I'll look at the market again then, but I'm not even I'm not even shopping. And my iPad is pretty old too. It's just they're not, you know, as content consumption devices, they're not particularly um, high on my replace list. And then I think for folks that want to use a tablet-like device for productivity, well, Microsoft Surface is doing pretty good for those folks. So it's like the iPad didn't, the iPad Pro didn't go all in enough. It didn't go like Surface Pro in, right? I feel like the iPad Pro, the initial 12.9-inch one, which is the one that I, I bought and when it was like first announced, which is now a glorified Photoshop viewing device for me. Yeah. And uh, Netflix and YouTube <laughs> is just a, a, a smudge too expensive for enterprises to like buy it in bulk, right? I, I also don't think people are ready for a whole new like standard device that you carry in your work. I mean, I just think they're not good enough. They're not useful enough. Okay, here's a thought. Well, then why, why wasn't it like the Surface, right? Then, then why aren't the Surfaces flying off shelves? I think they like are. Every... Well, they're doing well for Microsoft. I don't know the sales numbers, but I think they are doing pretty good. I just wonder, do you think the iPad Pro, like just say the big one, sure, would, the big one, would sure. sell better if it was if it ran if it was a full iOS device, 100% iOS device, and you hold down a button when you're booting it up, and it comes up with a screen, and you can choose Mac OS X. And you could actually run Mac OS on no, the iPad. No, I, I don't think that would be – I think that's a nightmare, actually. I think people need multi-window support, and they want to rearrange their windows. They want to minimize applications and bring them no, back no. up. Yes, yes. I think it needs that, those features. Maybe, maybe not minimize, but yeah, those features. Yeah, yeah. But I don't – what you're suggesting is bringing the concept of dual booting, which is something that like even – some IT pros still screw Well, I was just with. trying to suggest that if you could use it to get your actual work done, you know, when you're making money on the iPad Pro, then sure. you might be more inclined to pick one up. As it stands, so, you have to have a workload that is that's that's addressed by iOS applications right now, which is so there, I, which is I doable, spent but. some yeah, I spent some time with the 10-inch iPad Pro or the 9. Point whatever. Oh yeah. trying trying to work as much as possible from it. And what I found is there is a whole segment of stuff that I do that I can easily do from an iPad, but I'm not as fast, right? I'm not as efficient. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that that is a pretty common. Yeah. And it'd be the same if it was Android, right? It doesn't have to necessarily be, it's not, it's just, it's just what those, how those operating systems are, are designed. And I wonder if that means we're just not going to see this go anywhere or if it's just waiting to take, take hold I, I well i mean let, let's not go crazy though right they sold a lot of freaking ipads like it isn't you know still, iPad it's still lowering out though like it's it's oof. you know what they i think there's ways to bring that back i you know one they could continue to do what they always do and like commoditize last year's model and make it cheaper and have people buy it for their kids which that is a very tim cook operations guy style move which let's be honest there's no way he's not doing that right mm. They could go your route without the crazy dual boat thing and just like, you know what, this year's iPad Pro, we mean Pro. And see, the problem is once you get into like a windowing system, you are fundamentally all altering all of the apps. Yeah. And, and, and also huge. while you're at it, give me a file system so that way different applications can easily open other applications' data files without having to use the sharing system. Yeah. See, that's just – not Never going to happen. happen. No, that's why that and that I think prevents a huge amount of work. And the, and the pain to developers of, of even something, uh, you know, conceptually for those of us who sit on desktops all day of like a windowing system, the way iOS apps are written, that would be super challenging. 
I mean, you yeah. could do some. They have different size classes now, but well, I don't. Yeah, yeah I don't see it being. I don't see it being a good transition. That's not kind of like it would be a tile system, is what it would yes. be. It would yep. have to be. Yeah, yeah, it would use the existing system to to try to fit multiple windows on there. I agree, uh, but you know, never fear, Mike, because uh, Tim Cook says we've got exciting things coming on iPad, and I'm optimistic about where things are headed. Customer sat is through the roof on iPad Pro, ninety nine percent. So I see a lot of good things and hope for better results. Okay. He always says that. That's always what he says. That's always what he says. He's saturated in customer sat, you could say. While we're before we get too far off a of Mac OS on an iPad, how about uh, iOS on a Mac? Apple is said to be working on a Mac chip that would move away from Intel and use an ARM chip to handle a lot of the sleeping type stuff, improve battery life, maybe do some oh. graphics offloading, uh, power nap, et cetera, et cetera. So this, this is exa- – see, this – I don't understand what their obsession is with like using less power and battery life. Give me more power. <laughs> Give yeah. me more RAM. Give me more – Make it a little thicker. You're doing fine, right? Yeah, exactly. Make it a little thicker. You don't – I, what I want is the MacBook like Ultra Pro or the MacBook Truck Edition. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to see even thinner. How much thinner could we possibly get? How much less power could we possibly use? Well, yeah, I don't know. Thin as I can get it, but you did get a chance to try the uh, the uh, the Touch Bar thing. What did you think of that? I think that the sales uh, young sales girl at Best Buy deserves a raise <laughs> because no one has tried to sell me an Apple product with such failure before. Trying, <laughs> been trying so hard. Yeah, like, yeah. The sincerity on her face. And did she I start tried, from the presumption that you know nothing about the machines? So it's... She, she did. Yeah. And then there was an Apple rep there because they were like setting something up. Oh. And he kept like interrupting her because she sort of got things factually wrong. But I was being polite. So I didn't say anything. You know, right. So, We've oh, all been there. Yeah. Yeah. Um... She she was really trying to explain to me that, like, the touch bar is great. And somebody is is correcting me that there is already an ARM chip that powers the touch bar. That's right. It's like a little watch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The the T1, I think they call it. Right. So she asked me, like, what are you going to use it for? Like, family photos? Which, fair enough, I guess, because I I do have suburban dad bod. But I said, no, I'm actually a developer. Oh, yeah, well, the eight gigabyte model is good for. It. I wasn't intending to buy a Mac. Yeah. I just kind of was in the store already, you know, browsing for other things. You, but did you get your greasy paws on the bar itself? I, I I did. What did you think? And I immediately thought that if I were to ever pick up a MacBook Pro of this model, it would have to be the non-touch bar one. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it I did not see, and and, and to her credit, she. I mean, Best Buy is usually kind of garbage, right? They had apps installed on it that, like, showed off the touch bar. They were really – she was really trying to do a lot with it. And I could see how some people could think it's cool, but it is not, in my opinion, a work machine for the type of work that I do at least. And I'm super skeptical that, like, photographers and DJs are going to, like, use that touch bar for anything. Yeah, I could see if – boy, maybe a DJ if the application was done. I know they demoed one one and, and maybe Final Cut for a few things. But you're right, Mike. I, that's how I kind of feel about it too. Yeah, uh, I mean – Yeah, it's interesting that they're really selling it there at Best Buy. I wonder if that's something that's going to be coming more and more. 
Hey, I think Best Buy just wants to sell you something at this point. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. One last bit of Apple stuff before we move on from all of this. Uh, I got to say, it looks like they're doing pretty good in the wearable space. Uh, They apparently dominated the holiday season with an estimated 5.2 million shipments, which puts them pretty well above and beyond everybody else. Uh, So I guess for Apple in Q6 or Q4 of 2016, sorry, they sold 11.6 million. Samsung sold 2.4 million and everybody else combined sold 7.1 million. Yeah, they they again they are the leader of a little 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 hill here. Um, I, again, I, I I don't know what to say about the Apple Watch. I have been tempted a few times to pick one up, but from a development perspective, I can't think of anything that I would do that either hasn't already been done, or that I think there's a mass enough market that also owns an Apple Watch. Twenty one point one million smartwatches by all the different vendors, and that might include some Fitbit models in there and some Pebbles. Uh, I don't know if all the Fitbits qualify as a smartwatch, and, and so everybody... Apple and Apple in total has out of that twenty one million, Apple got eleven point six of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know that's. Not that's good, right? I mean, another twenty million good. were shipped in twenty fifteen, so could be forty million smartwatches on the market potentially somewhere around there. That's not insignificant, but the problem is they're not. You know, it's it's more fractured than the mobile, the phone market. It's extremely fractured, right? And it's the capabilities are wide and far. And I just, yeah, I don't see a lot of people wearing them outside of like techies or you know spouses of techies i guess i'm kind of feeling like i'm seeing the apple watch a bit more i'm feel, i'm seeing fit oh no i'm seeing no no i'm seeing the apple watch a bit more than i am certainly android watches yeah yeah and fitbits i'm seeing quite a bit of fitbits actually uh and i'm seeing fitbits with older fem- uh, members of my family too like people uh, you know but 65 70s that just want to do just maybe have like a daily walk or something like that and the fitbit's really simple um, and there's also one I, I think it's Misfit or I can't remember who makes it where it's just lights that light up and there's no screen or nothing. And I've seen a couple of people wearing that too in my family. But as far as like just out on the street, uh, average people, I'd say Apple Watch is the is the smartwatch I see the most. And uh, I do not see very many Android Wear watches, but when I do see a round screen one, it, it does really stand out. So I. I, I'm currently watchless myself. I remain watchless. Uh, the people in, in my uh, immediate family around me have watches, but I do not. Are you still watchless? I am wearing the first-gen Moto 360. Oh, but really? I thought you gave that up. I did, but I kind of got used to wearing it. But I'm I'm looking to either trade up to an actual, like, you know, watch. watch yeah, yeah. Or possibly an Apple Watch. But I, I don't like the aesthetics of the Apple Watch. Yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, there's rumors of a Nexus watch coming. I was uh, looking at stories mm. of, of, yeah. So that could be maybe worth waiting for. It might be worth waiting. In the meantime, while you're waiting for the Nexus watch, head over to ScaleYourCode.com for a sponsor on the Coda Radio program today. ScaleYourCode.com, go over there, sign up for their newsletter, and find out about new interviews with industry experts. See how they run their platforms and get an inside look at companies and how they grow their infrastructure, their culture, and solve very interesting and difficult engineering problems. The other nice thing about it, too, is you can learn from their mistakes, get an idea of the tools they use in production, all that. I was over on the site earlier today looking at their interviews, and I noticed this great one over here. Check this out. Jack Levin is the founder of Image Shack, and uh, now he is uh, 
He's uh, I think he's I don't know if he's still at Google, but he was one of their very first network engineers. And I uh, I can't remember if he's left or not. You can probably find out in the interview. What a what a great great chat. Large scale image processing on the fly in twenty five milliseconds with Google's first network engineer. That's definitely one to check out. And you can find out about other new interviews when they come out by going to scaleyourcode.com, sign up for the newsletter, and find out when renowned engineers have a new thing, a new thing to share with you. Scaleyourcode.com. And a big thank you to Scale Your Code. Get access to interviews and blog posts for free when you sign up for the newsletter at scaleyourcode.com. So I was coming across uh, this particular topic and I thought I'd uh, share it with you. There's uh, been an update in the works. And uh, I don't really – I don't want to spend a lot of time on this one. So let's cover this one just really briefly as a follow-up to the folks that have followed our assistant discussion. Mike has the home. I have the Echo. And uh, there's an article over at Tech Republic that says that the dirty little secret of both these devices is 97% of the voice apps are only used for one week. We don't really remember them very well. And I say that's probably true for a lot of the skills I have enabled for my Echo. I, I've probably turned on a dozen and only used two of them. And so I just wanted to check in with you, Mike, a few weeks. In, I think we're well, actually a month and change in now. How's right. the home experience going? Are you finding that you're using it for more things or less? Uh, basically just music. That's, uh, that's pretty limited. Not even queries. It's- not even queries, really. And in fact, we were just discussing it yesterday. Um, kind of wish I had better speakers. <laughs> oh, really? Because I put it up against the Sonos, and the Sonos just, like, demolished it. Well, uh, I find it I find it interesting that neither one of us are really using it for, like, the kind of queries we might put into Google. I, I occasionally ask it things. I am – I find myself using it, the Echo – a lot on a daily basis simply because I've tied it in with Wi-Fi devices that I have to turn things on and off at the RV and at the studio. And so I interact with it simply just to control those devices on a daily basis. But I do not find myself querying it very much. I do sometimes when we're having a conversation, I'll just say, you know, if somebody says, well, what does that mean? And I'll just say, well, define. And, you know, I'll, I kind of use it for that. But most of almost all of the skills, with the exception of a small handful, uh, I either forget and then have to go look up the skill name to use it, and so it's just kind of pointless, or I just stop using altogether. Yesterday, I wanted to get the Bitcoin price, and uh, I couldn't remember the name of the skill because you have to tell the Echo to ask the skill in a very specific syntax. And I had to go on my phone, load up the Amazon app, go look at the skill store, okay, and then then issue the command because it had been two weeks since I had done it. Now, when it's something like changing the the, the color of my Hughes lights – or uh, turning things on and off. I've got those down like Pat. So there's some there's there's some things I find useful. Like I still come in and often and I'll I'll ha- I'll have the uh, Echo device. You can ask it what's new, and it gives you a flash briefing from sources you've defined. And so I have uh, three or four major news sources in there, and it just goes through the list, starting with tech stories, and then breaks down into all our other shows categories. And the Alexa just sits there and reads them off to me uh, until I tell it to stop. And that's a very nice feature where I'm just sort of getting settled in the morning. But yeah, I, I would agree. I'd say about 90% of the stuff I've turned on, I stopped using. Yeah, I think too that part of the problem here is developers haven't really dived into this yet, right? We're not seeing – I think it's too early. I read the same piece that you did. I think it's too early to kind of call this. Yeah. Although I will say that um, just like local groups, 
a lot of people are very excited about Alexa. Yeah, I, th- I think that seems to be. I, I do seem to see a lot of excitement there. I think all part of it is is because it's it's a widely deployed product that had a really good holiday season. That's getting cheaper with different with different devices at different price points, and uh, it's it's getting to that point where, like, I found out over the weekend that my dad has two of them. I didn't know, you know that. It's funny. My father in law, retired army guy, and you know he's like retired GI Joe basically. Hates technology. Loves the Alexa. Really. Loves it. Yeah, my dad's using two of them. He's got one upstairs and yeah. one downstairs. He He's wants got... to get one of the little ones for, for his kitchen. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, it's great. I, I need paper towels. I just tell it I need paper towels and Yeah, towels. I haven't talked to him much about it, but uh, I know yeah. he's been using it to control the lighting in his place and uh, a few other – automating a few other things. And, you know, that's that's nice for them, uh, especially like uh, in their, their particular place. They have a super steep staircase, so it's kind of nice not to have to go down there in the middle of the night. Uh, but, you know, when you have 7,000 skills, it's not going to be surprising that people are going to lose track of a few of them too. I mean that's the other problem is it's a bit of a problem of, of success for the Echo because their skill store yeah. is blowing up right now. It's, I call it a store. It's basically a, a directory. Um, I'm looking at this show. They have a chart here uh, from voicebot.ai. Uh, and it, it's, you look at that. It's, it's incredible growth in, in a year. It's not even a year actually. It's just, that's just June to January. That's unbelievable. Hey Alexa, ha ha ha! Are you screwing with my? Uh, are you screwing with my dot? Are you screwing? Uh, I, don't screw I with my dot, that. man! Don't screw with my dot. I saw. Okay, I think they're a pretty legit. I think they're a pretty legit product category. I think the big problem is when you are routined into doing to looking things up. They you have to retrain yourself to use it. My kids, who are around them a lot less than I am, because these things sit in the rooms that I are in, I am in every single day. My kids have already taken to using it to ask it questions and do things way more so than I do. They, they, in the moment they have a question that they think that thing's capable of asking, they, they think to ask it. And it's, in some ways it's nice for me because <laughs> instead of asking dad, they ask the echo. Uh, and I'm always kind of impressed that A, it seems to be able to answer. B, it seems to be able to understand them. And see that they thought to ask it when it never even crossed my mind. I frequently find that to be the case. They they think to ask the echo before it even crosses my mind that it's something we could do. Um, and then I might think – what I might think is well, I'll pull out my phone and I'll ask the Google app or I'll ask Siri. But I generally don't think I'll ask the, the lady in the cylinder in the room with me. That usually takes me a couple of beats to get to. So I'm still retraining myself. However, when it, when it comes time to like when I walk into my, when I walk into my office in the morning – as soon as that door opens, I'm 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 barking commands at the Echo to set things up for me. So, yeah, I mean, I I you know I say things like, "Okay, Google, play Roar by Katy Perry" all the time. <laughs> I, you know, oh, yeah, of course you do. Oh crap! Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Not myself. I, Still, I'm curious to see where all this goes. Uh, I I'm, I'm about to experiment with integrating it into my home slash RV TV. Um, right. My dad, for my birthday, got me the Logitech Harmony, which is a little puck that shoots out infrared blasts in every direction, and you can you can you can connect that to the Echo, and you can have the Echo turn your TV on and off, turn channels up, pause your your Roku or your playback device. And that could be extremely useful because we lose the remote all the time. 
Yeah, I feel like there's an opportunity for some developers with a little bit of hardware know-how to make some sort of integration piece for the Alexa or for the Google Home. Probably, yeah. probably be for the Alexa, to be honest. But yeah. where it just somehow ties into your legacy home equipment, right? Yeah. You you know if you can if it basically the real easy the real easy line to know if you could integrate it in with an, as an assistant is if it has a, a a toggle switch for power like if you can physically turn it on and off with a switch so like if you can if you can control the power source because then you can just get a smart AC plug mm. and they're about the same True. cost as like a, a you know like a timer with a dial on it thirty five forty bucks for a nice timer. Well, now you can just get a Wi-Fi plug instead, which has timer capabilities and can be controlled by a home assistant device or your smart or your smartphone. Um, and so you get one of these little things. And so I have these huge studio lights. They don't have any Wi-Fi features built into them. But be- because I have their plugs plugged into these TP-Link smart plugs, I control those TP-Link smart plugs, which then turns the lights on and off. So there's ways of doing it if you can just control the power flow. Uh, Mr. Dominic, before we get into the GitLab incident that happened, you know, which was a massive, massive, Ma- massive screw up, let's just briefly mention some news here. Uh, GitHub is introducing topics. Discover networks of similar repositories in a way completely new with topics. Topics are labels that create subject based connections between GitHub repositories and let you explore projects by type, technology, and more. You can click on a topic that interests you to find related repositories. Adding topics to your repositories will help others discover your projects, too. Um, You may see suggested topics when adding a topic to a public repository. That's just using their machine learning. They say, you know, nothing fancy. Oh, and also some natural language processing. No bigs. Applied to the repository content. Uh, They say they're at the start of a new journey, and rejecting suggestions that don't fit well will help us train our model for more meaningful results. That's interesting. So what do you think of this as a way to help maybe this could help people discover similar projects that they might have an interest in? This could help little projects get a little more visibility. Do you think? Yeah, I didn't know what to make of this when I saw it. It certainly seems like that would be the intention, I guess. But I I don't know how effective this really would be and how would it work. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yeah, what are the parameters that they actually suggest a topic based on, right? Is it technology stack, code frequency, region, committers, owner of the repo? Um, that wasn't super clear in what I read about it. No, machine learning, language processing. Yeah. <laughs> that's not really an answer, though, is it? Like, Well, that's what the answer they use. <laughs> right. What, what are, yeah, that's, you know, what a, doesn't – I'm not sure because – I mean, obviously, more visibility to more open source yeah. is just in general a good thing. Yeah. But I worry about like an almost app storefication of GitHub, and I know that sounds terrible, but where the if you're not optimized for the algorithm somehow, you're not going to get attention. That's what I was thinking about. Or the eviler side of that, once you figured out how to how to optimize for the algorithm. You game the system, and uh, so there's some there's a there is a bug right now, and I'm going to call it a bug. There is a bug on YouTube right now where very popular YouTubers have this massive spam problem in their comments because essentially what I think happens is somebody posts a legit comment that like plugs their channel and is really kind of baggy, and then a bunch of bots or something go and they they use the new voting up system and the reply system 
to give that comment sort of automatic weight in the way YouTube arranges the comments. And so this guy, this spam comment automatically now pops up to the top of this YouTube video that might be getting 2 million, 5 million views. So it's if you think about it in terms of web ad space, it's an incredibly valuable spot to have the top of the comment stack. And it's they're gaming this system that YouTube's been trying to use using natural language processing to figure out what the commenter is saying, if it applies to the content of the video, and if other people seem to be responding well to it by analyzing their replies. And so people have figured out how to abuse that system to essentially buy incredibly valuable ad space. So maybe something like that could happen here too. It might not be as dramatic, but there is that side of it you, when you do figure it out. But I think yeah. I, picture the, I picture the benefit to be much greater, the benefit to that open source project that could really use another contributor. Right. Maybe they're working on Vala, and so there's somebody else that's working on a Vala project, and now they see that pop up on their sidebar and they, well, you know, I know Vala and that project's written in Vala and they just need a little help. I could go, I could jump over there and help out. There could, that could happen. And that would be really cool if maybe open source projects ended up getting a, picking up a couple of more contributors or, or people are able to learn about things that, that interested them if this thing was really good at sussing that, all that out. So I guess it's yeah, just sort of wait and see, right? It depends on the algorithm. And with any of these cases, there's going to be winners and losers, but I can't see how it could be an objectively bad thing, right? It just might be selectively good, meaning that it's better for some than others. I do whine because I want to win. All right. All right. I like it. Good analysis. Now, we need to get into the GitLab thing. This was uh, – you know what? Before we go into GitLab, let's talk about DigitalOcean. Let's talk about how you probably want to host this yourself, and DigitalOcean could be a great way to do it. Once you sign up, use our promo code, and you'll get a $10 credit. It's code or digital. It's one word. You apply it to your account. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up rigs on their infrastructure. And man, have they nailed it. With a super intuitive interface, very fast spin-up time, one-click deployments of the entire application stack, or just the base distribution you want, and almost any distribution you'd want to run in a server environment, including something called FreeBSD. I'm suspicious, but they've got it. They've got not just the distribution, or in this case FreeBSD, but they also work upstream with the project to make sure they're on the correct update channels, they're getting all of the right stuff. It's, 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 it's really, really well done. And that applies to the way the web UI is designed. That applies to their straightforward API that all of this sits on top of. That applies to the way you spin up a system if you're a total newbie beginner and have no idea what you're doing, or if you're an absolute expert. They've managed to design an interface in your web browser that meets those requirements. It's, it's one of the things that really set DigitalOcean apart from the beginning. And then they match that with just unparalleled performance. SSDs for all of the storage. 40 gigabit e-connections into the hypervisors. KVM for the virtualizer. Data centers all over the world. New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, India. They have more data centers coming up on, online all the time. They got one up near Alan Jude, which is just probably good luck in general. I think I've got, a, I don't know, probably... Three or four servers in the, on the East Coast and probably three or four servers in different San Francisco data centers. And I got one in Germany. Just one. But, you know, hey, <laughs> I've got people that are downloading from it and they get great speeds over there. It's at a really nice key distribution point. And then they have fantastic documentation to take it even further. DigitalOcean.com. Just use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. 
So GitLab did legitimately have a full-fledged meltdown. And they had not one, not two, not three, not four, but five failures to restore data. Six hours, some RMRFing. I mean, it seems like it was a a real... It, it was one of those situations where shit walks up to fan and says, hi, how are you? I'm shit. Fan says, hi, I'm fan. Now, let's fan be clear. GitLab, fan. the meltdown, it doesn't mean you're like losing data. Well, you, I, you could be. You could be. But you're not, you losing, you're not losing data in your repo. You're not losing like your source code. Right? No, you should not have lost. Right. right. If, you're so using, the, if you're using some of their other services, though. Yeah, I mean – Okay, so we should talk about, one, a lot of people using GitLab are using it internally, like on their own DO servers. Yep. DO has a one-click app install for that, plug, plug. Um, you are obviously not affected, right? This is GitLab.com's software as a service solution. We've featured GitLab on the show a few times. I'm fairly positive on them. I'm currently a Alaskan customer, so it's Bitbucket. Um, I will say that they are not the only source control project management solution have outages uh when i had code journal out on the market i can tell you that github used to go down all the freaking time people would send me bad reviews about it thank you guys but this is a pretty pretty bad thing that happened so one there was data loss there was six hours of data loss because they only had a backup from six hours ago or not six hours from when they restored right not not whenever you're listening to this the causes of the issue based on their own blog post what i would actually encourage everybody to read it's a pretty good of like what can go wrong when you don't do all the little little data integrity and sort of devopsy types things that you should be doing you know everybody does it everybody sometimes doesn't back everything up or maybe you make a mistake i mean they were very transparent about it which i think is great it's not so great that they actually lost data, though. I mean, six hours is a lot, especially if you think about where GitLab, uh, and I think te- I think they brag about this on their website. You know, they're the GitHub for enterprise, according to TechCrunch. Six hours of data for a large enterprise could be a lot of freaking data, depending on you know the enterprise's locality and the time of day, blah blah blah. I I have read a lot of reviews on this. And I've read the comments in their blog post. A lot of people like thanking them for being transparent and kind of giving them kudos on this. I can't say that I agree with that assessment, Chris. Mm. Because this is not a, you know, if if you are using this as a development shop, which I imagine a lot of our listeners are, consultants or shops or things like that, even just losing like your milestones and your snippets and your pull requests and your project management uh, issues and things like that, can be a pretty significant problem. And that's just really bad, right? Most of the reason, or a lot of the reason you might go with the service like GitLab, rather, you know, a hosted one where you're paying monthly for it, rather than hosting it on like your own droplet or server, is to avoid this kind of crap, right? Because you trust them more than yourself as the server admin. So this is a pretty disturbing uh, pretty pretty disturbing sort of thing in my opinion. Yeah, it's rough too because – so the guy accidentally deletes the production database, literally RMRFs yeah. that, cancels it mid-delete, but essentially you know, it's 300 gig database and he gets 4.5 gig back. 
Then they realize, oh shit, our snapshots are only twenty four hours every twenty four hours, and our last snapshot was six hours ago. And you start hitting these you these these the walls end of, the day, of realization. Right? It, was, it was like all the bad things. It was the end of the day. I'm sure he was you know wanting to go home. Yeah. Yeah. You start you start slamming into these walls of realization where you realize, oh, my infrastructure wasn't actually set up for this the way I thought it was, uh, and it's you know very public for them. So they had uh, they uh, also you know they didn't take they weren't taking backups during the day, so they had LVM snapshots every twenty four hours, backups every twenty four hours, but didn't have anything from the day. Um, they didn't have it on the systems or on Azure, which was systems on NFS on Linux, but they didn't have snapshots turned on on the database servers. The uh, so those are kind of mistakes they made. Oh, and apparently also the they didn't their backups to S three which they thought were working weren't working correctly. Yeah, so, so to to me the S three explanation was actually like the scariest one. So you wrote manual backups to S three and you never like bothered to check if your backups because it wasn't that the backups didn't work right. So they they just never happened. They didn't exist in S three. Um, that seems pretty scary to me, and I I'm not Mister. You know, for our default services, I'm not Mr. Crazy back everything up. But, you know, Atlassian does do incremental uh, backups of everything. I'm, I'm, this is not a commercial for Atlassian, right? I'm not I'm not suggesting people switch. I'm just saying that these are a lot of mistakes. And individually, they're fairly severe. Taken as a group, it's – I'm frankly impressed that they only lost as much data as they lost. Right. This this could have been a much more uh, much more catastrophic. And I and I, I would be very interested to hear as the story is unfolding, um, you know, did businesses really lose a lot of data? Right. Are there actual enterprises that were like really adversely affected by this or was it was it lucky enough to be much ado about nothing? But go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Well, no, I, no, I think that's a good point. I, I guess now that we've said all that, I, I kind of want to just touch on a couple of things that I thought they did right. They they did do Twitter updates. They also posted yes. a well-formatted public Google Doc that they were keeping updated. They even live-streamed on YouTube for some of it. And they have they did they did blog follow-up posts, and they've answered press questions. So, you know, I mean, this is a horrible kind of thing to happen, and people that were using some of the PMO stuff have undoubtedly lost data, and six hours can be a, can be a huge amount of time of somebody's productive day. But at the same time, they, they are being very, very transparent about where they screwed up. And this is something I used to try to say on TechSnap, probably not very well, but what I used to try to say is we as a community, when we get rare opportunities where companies screw up this bad and then they are this honest and transparent about it, there is – there is something for all of us to learn from this kind of thing, like how they have their backups configured, how they have their snapshots configured, what the reason why they mistook, <clears throat> sorry, mistook their S3 backups for working. The reason, you know, you can see that how they have their Azure NFS set up uh, to not have snapshots. These little things that you can piece together now when you're assembling your infrastructure are lessons learned. And so I'm, I appreciate how GitLab has responded to this because in some cases when you have a complex – Technical infrastructure, especially when you're self-hosting, these things can happen. And they almost are inevitable to some degree. I mean, even Google has had huge worldwide outages. So it's how you respond to them is almost just as important as preventing them. How's that? Does that feel like a nice uh, positive spin on it? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. You could also say that now that this happened, I can be pretty much sure that they will never do this again, right? Um, that, you know, I, I imagine their operations team will be much more aggressive about manually checking updates and things of that nature. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, right? Like, I, you, you, it feels like a mistake you make once. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I suppose it's one of those where if you live to learn, if you if you live to tell the story and learn from it, it's it 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 is a it is a great war story to walk away from. But yeah, if if anybody was affected by this, I'd be curious to know what it was like on your end of it. If anybody lost anything, or if anybody experienced the outage in a way that impacted their productivity, let us know. CoderRadio.reddit.com, or you can go to JupiterBroadcasting.com/contact and choose Coder Radio from the drop down. Wow, Mr. Dominic, look at us. We are time-traveling mavens this week. Yes, we are. There is, uh, there's, if you want more Coda Radio, there is more to be found, too, uh, including the .NET language strategy submitted by a Mr. Dominic. Not familiar with that. Uh, a Windows 10 strategy, perhaps the Mystery OS to, for Microsoft's answer to Chromebooks on there. The GitLab incident, .NET on ARM, and other topics. Some dots, some... Some consistent .NET stuff in that Coda Radio subreddit. Some guy's YouTube video about the native app development. Um, hmm. Is that going to be a regular thing from you? Yeah, I'm trying to do a couple a week. Where would I? Where? Where do? Where do I send people to follow that? Uh, unfortunately, you could send them to Buccaneer.io because I have yet to get the fancy YouTube oh, yeah, yeah. ending. You got to get you like. To- Hundred people to subscribe, or what is the? Isn't there like some well, sort of? So I, I I'm I'm past the hundred mark now. Okay, but yeah, that's what it is, and then you have to apply for it. Ah, you've yeah. applied, and they just haven't given you an answer. Uh yeah, I applied, and I didn't get an answer yet. That's, so that's great. Kind of, that's great. And, and I hit the hundred mark in like two days, so I'm like, okay, so this should be yeah, pretty pretty smooth. But no, it's uh, it's. Because it's Google, so it's somewhere in the aether, right? Not, yeah. not a whole lot I can do about it. There's a there's a Python script that's just in a sleep loop, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it was actually running on like a oh, GitLab. Oh, wait, it was it was, a, it was a GitLab service, and it just, just, just oh, Mr. Dominic. Oh, all right, that's probably a good. Is there anything else you want to mention this week or talk about before we get here? Folks at GitLab, good there job go. getting it yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, join us live. We should be live back at our regular time next week on a Monday. Get it converted to your local time over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Watch it at jblive.tv if you want the downloaded version, so that way you don't got to worry about live times. Well, why not just subscribe to the RSS feed? Hey, look at that. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash jupiterbroadcasting. All right. I will give one more plug to the subreddit because it's also a great spot to leave feedback for this specific episode. We have a thread in there for 243. You can find it at CoderRadio.reddit.com. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coder Radio. And we'll see you right back here next week. Get it out of here.